Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Last week, we began a uh, series with a door called The Door of Courage. Uh, it, um, in, in the Bible, doors can be an opportunity or an end of a season. And um, sometimes God opens doors and other times he closes doors. Uh, do- doors have such a significant value for our spiritual life. And we talked about five door principles, and I want to remind you of them this morning. Uh, the first one, and we talked about it last week, and it's going to be kind of sifted and seeded throughout our entire series. The first one is this. Every door is a decision. In the Bible, doors are a, a, a metaphor for the choices that we make. You learn it early in life that some doors you should walk through and other doors you shouldn't walk through. You're not saying amen because you're thinking about one of those dates that you went on early before you were married. And you're like, oh, dear Lord. That, that was a prayer, okay? Oh, Lord. Right? You walk through a door. Uh, um, secondly, my future will be shaped by the doors I open, the doors that I walk past. And the difficult part is knowing the right door to walk through. Because each door is, is, is time, right? It can be. It could be our energy when it comes to our time, our resources when it comes to our time. It could be a financial decision that you made that was poor and you're facing the consequences of it. Sorry to bring that up. And it requires a, a, a lot of energy. So my future will be shaped by the doors that, are, that we walk through. And if you're a student here and you're in university and you're making decisions, wow, how important it is to make the right decisions and be walking through the right doors and not walking through the wrong doors, right? Secondly, third, sorry, confession time first. There are some doors we walk through. Have you ever walked through a door that you, you thought was right, the right door, but you ended up being the wrong door? Raise your hand, all of the room. Yeah, I know, that's that, the people, that, that first date, that second date you went on, I understand it. There are some doors we walk through and it takes years to get back on track, doesn't it? Some decisions that you made in your past and you walk through a door flippantly, didn't ask anybody or God, and you walk through it and you're maybe facing some of the, the consequences even, even today. Number three, a door may be an opportunity from God. God opens doors. When God opens doors, it normally comes with, with some opposition, and we, we miss those opportunities, those doors of opportunities, because we forecast the opposition, don't we? A, a, a opposition involved and refuse to step through the doors because we think because it's an opposition or there's friction, then God certainly can't have anything to do with it because serving God and being a part of the relationship with God is all rosy, right? Eh, not all the time. A door may be a distraction from others. It looks like an opportunity, but it ends up being a distraction. God has a plan for your life, and so does everybody else, right? And if you had to listen to every, every door that you thought people thought you should walk through, all those distractions, you'd be in a, in a heap of trouble. And also, a door can also be a trap from the enemy. There are trap doors in this world that will seem appetizing, and they are set to destroy your life. When God opens the doors, it will never contradict the word of God. 
The word of God is our moral compass. And if you are about to walk through a door in your life and it is at odds with God's word, don't walk through it. When God's word says, don't do this, God will not open a door for you to do it. It's a trap and a distraction. Lastly, sometimes God shuts a door to protect us. You ever have a door shut? You thought it was an opportunity. You thought was, this is going to happen. And all of a sudden, bang, the door shuts, slam shuts, right? God is trying to shut doors in your life to help you, not hurt you. Although there are times it might feel like it hurts you, but it's God. And when we don't shut them, we end up in a lot of pain, don't we? And what do we do when, we, when that door was the wrong door? We blame others and we blame God, don't we? Some people blame the pastor. That wasn't, uh, I, I, that was my inside voice. Uh, the reason he shuts them is to protect us from the pain. God shuts doors to protect us from the pain. Now, there are certain doors that God allows that are still painful, and we have to discern which ones that is. Uh, when he shuts doors, he has such a better plan for your life. And at the threshold of stepping into the, into the doors, those doors, God is opening. There is a white elephant question. We asked it last week. We need to ask it again because some of you weren't listening. I know you weren't. And on the other side of my courage, will God be there for me? I have asked this question many times in my faith journey, even as a pastor, walking through, because guess what? I am not a child of God because I am a pastor. I am a child of God because... I'm a child of God. And I question my faith at times. And there are moments when I've said, I've stood at, the, at a door knowing that I've sh- uh, I, I should be walking through it. And one of the knee-jerk reaction questions I will ask, like us all, will God be there for me? And you ask it too. And what I love about the stories of the Bible is that many are faith-filled believers face fears and sicknesses, pain and struggles Uh, The same way as we do. And the common denominator in any story was a person who came up against the greatest faith battle and walked through it, reminding us this principle at times, okay? Sometimes the only way to find out if God is enough is when God is all that you have. Lonely, isn't it? Some of you are reflecting on that moment now when you walk through a door or something happened in your life and... That principle came true for you. And last week we talked, we witnessed King Hezekiah in the battle of his life with an evil king of Assyria and he held firm to a couple of things in the middle of the door of courage and he was able to withstand the enemy. He was able to have the spiritual bandwidth to be able to do it because he worshiped the true one and only God. He held firm to his promises. He didn't give in to the voice of fear when the enemy was so close. Remember, the enemy was so close he could smell his breath. That's not in the Bible, but, but he was on their defense walls. They were standing, the enemy was on their defense walls, looking down at them in the, one of the most vulnerable moments in their entire life. But he didn't give in to the voice of fear. He held firm. And so he walked through the door of courage. And today I want to talk about another door that for the most part makes most of us uncomfortable. And it's this word that we call risk, the door of risky faith. And I want us to stand at this door 
And, and while we do, I want to ask you a fundamental question that's contextualized within the, the text of the verse that I'm going to speak on this morning. You'll understand why I'm asking. How would your life, how would you live your life if you only had one month to live? I'm here to encourage you today. So as we step back a little further into 2 Kings 7 and into the northern kingdom of Israel, these four guys have one month to live. And it changed what they did with their life. So think about it. If you knew you only had 90 days to live, what would you do? How would you live your life, your last days on earth? Some of you would say, well, Bruce, I, I, I would leave my job for sure. Right? If I was guaranteed I only had one life to live, uh, one, uh, three months to live, I would leave my job. Not just one life to live. If <laughs> you leave your job when you got one life to live, you are penniless, just saying, or Nicholas. No pennies today. Some would say, I would, I would take that bucket list trip that I have always wanted. Some would say, I would go to that concert of my favorite band. And, and I'll be very honest with you, it would be Coldplay. That's one of my favorite secular bands. Do I lose my job by saying that? Uh, yes, I listen to Christian music as well. But if I only had three months to live, it would be Coldplay, right? And you can fire me because I'm going to die anyway. So I'm like, and I would, I would do, yes, I would go to Hill Songs and, uh, and just to make you feel comfortable. No, I wouldn't go to a Gaither band, okay? I just wouldn't do it. I'm sorry. I can't lie while I'm standing here. The sermon is now over. <laughs> How much would you risk if your circumstances changed? The last time I looked, the death rate still hovers around 100%, okay? We're going to die at some point in our lives. Knowing that this life is short and literally that you, don't, you have more than 30, 90 days to live, even though this life is short, should it not influence how you live today? It should, shouldn't it? Let's be honest. As we stand at this door of risk, this faith uh, door today, we ask safe, safe, we use safe words. It justifies the kind of words that we use. It justifies why we never open this door of faith. And it's the word called someday. You've used it before. And what it does is it, it, we use that word to pacify our neglect of stepping out in faith. I will do it someday. Someday I will pursue God. Maybe you're here today and you can't make that connection between your humanness and God. Maybe you're saying, well, God, God at best is there, but he has nothing to do with my life. And you're saying, you know what, someday I might pursue God. Someday I'll spend time with my kids. Someday I will be generous. Someday I will beat this addiction. Someday. Not today, but someday. Someday I'll get around to obeying God. When will we admit that someday is a fantasy? And how you are living this day is how you're going to live the rest of your life if you stay there. And so in 2 Kings 7, it's such a strange but yet profound story that has meaning for your life today. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if, if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. I'm just here to encourage you today with God's word, okay? 
Last week, we saw an evil king invade Judah, the southern kingdom. Today, it's, we step back and, and we see another king, an evil king, King Behenadad, invading the southern kingdom of Israel. We have four men dying, and they are outcasts thrown outside of the city because of their disease, and inside there is famine. And on the outside, there's 45,000 troops out, out there waiting and archers. They're, the troops are on the left and the right side of them and behind them. And in the front of them are archers. So you can rest assured, it doesn't take a prophet to say they are in trouble, okay? They're surrounded by the enemy. And it's tough. And so, and so what's going on is that the, the city's livestock and, and their, their, their food, their farms are on the outside. So what the enemy did was they suffocated them and their livestock died and their crops died. And what happened on the inside of the city, there was famine and starvation and even cannibalism. So you can imagine the picture going on here. It's, it, it's desperate. And so the best that the Bible could come up with was with the four lepers, <laughs> and they're standing at the door of risk and, 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 and they're saying, I'm going to die in the long run and starve in the short run. So one says, I'm going out. And the other three says, you won't get anywhere. You're, you're dead if you step out. And he says, what do I have to lose? And, and what if they take me in? And the other three agree. We're, we're going to go with you, but you go first. <laughs> right? Great friends, Right? And they are walking toward these archers, and they don't get a shot on them, and, and they realize that everyone is gone. In fact, the entire camp is gone because a few hours, let's see what, what happens. It says, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army so that they weren't there, they heard it. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. So, so the lepers are walking out and saying, don't shoot me. <laughs> right? And they realize everyone is gone. Right? They left in such a hurry. They left behind all their food and all of their iPhones and all of their iPads. Right? Just check and see if you're with me. And these four guys walk into this bounty of items and, and, and food. It's like they went to Costco and nobody was there, not even the lineups. It's a miracle, right? It's a miracle. Get the food, right? And then it says, the man who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Right? And they, it was Kool-Aid, of course. Then they took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid it also. I mean, they just, they're just, they're starving, they're sick, the starvation's behind them. You know, the people in the city pushed them out of, out of the city because they had leprosy and they walk into this bounty and they just gorge themselves, right? It's Costco with, with no payments. Not even membership. It's a free membership. You would find me in the meat item uh, place. And I'd have an apple just to relieve my conscience. And, and then they're just living it up after they gorge themselves. After they hoarded all of the supplies and rewards themselves for walking through this door of risk, right? They stopped and they realized. Watch what they say. Next slide. This slide. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. 
This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the, to the palace. In other words, we are receiving the blessing of God while our people are back inside the city and starving to death. Let's go share it with them. We are not doing right. You see, this phrase has leaped from the pages of 2 Kings 17, 7. Read the Bible and you could be read it a hundred times and all of a sudden you read it again. And to be honest, I have not read this story a lot. <laughs> right? It's, it's tucked in, the, in the, the back end of the Old Testament. But I read it this week and this phrase just leaped from it. And God speaks, speaks to me by saying, Bruce, is there any areas of your life where you're not doing right? God sees our life and he knows everything about you. Are there areas of your life where you are not doing right? Is, is it business transactions you're not doing right? Maybe it's decisions behind closed doors. Maybe it's family decisions. Maybe you're in a place of power and you're hoarding that power to abuse others. Is there areas of your life we are not doing right? Is God calling you to step out and take some risk in an area and you're disobeying? See, there, these four men stood at the, this door of risky faith today, and there are three observations that are important that we need to know as we contemplate our steps of faith in this context. And the first one is this. Their risk, this, this is important. So let me explain it after I say it. This, their risk capacity was far greater than the reality in front of them. And I will guarantee you, in every facet of your life when it comes to faith journey. When God is asking us to do something, the, the obedience on the other end will require more faith than you have every single time. If you are waiting for God to ask you to do something and you're going to be filled up with faith, you're in trouble. Because God is after our hearts and he's building character and everything that God does, he's leaning us towards faith. And here's the context of 2 Kings 7. God's people had disobeyed and created a, a habitual worship for other gods. And Elisha, the prophet, had warned them of the coming punishment. As a matter of fact, the king of the northern kingdom blames Elisha. Okay, Elisha is a prophet during 2 Kings, chapter, during that time, for a couple, uh, over 100 years. And, and so the king comes to Elisha and sees what's going on outside the gates and goes, come on now, where's your God? What's God saying? And he blames Elisha and confronts Elisha as to why God was not coming through. They had the protection of the walls, but the enemy had suffocated them outside the city walls by not allowing them access to food and their livestock. Wow, this, this is the reality of this. Is when we, when we need to step out in faith, the risk on the other side of the door will always be greater than the faith we have. It will in that moment. And so the king at the time, King Jerome, which I don't know how to pronounce, says something that we say in the middle of our battles. When we're standing at the door of risk, when we need faith, questioning God's timing, and when the enemy is suffocating our lives, we will say this too. Don't tell me you won't. This is a disaster from the Lord. Blame God. Blaming God, and not only blaming God, blaming God's timing. Shame on you. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And what's true is they were in the mess because they disobeyed God. 
And now they're blaming God and questioning his timing. Sometimes it takes... Someone needs to hear this. In this room today, sometimes it takes more faith to wait, doesn't it? Whoo, boy. We're such hyper-spiritual people where we think we just need to run through faith and run through the doors and, and just you know, leave the body parts for whoever, right? And just have super faith and run. Sometimes it takes more faith to wait for God's timing than it is to move prematurely in our timing. Are you receiving that? And in the form of four lepers, God begins to answer this prayer. Isn't that like God though? I mean, he, he responds to us in ways we would never have guessed, which is probably good, right? Because we would try to figure it out and we'd mess it all up anyway. He, he used the weakest of them all to bring about his plan and his rescue. Just think about that. We have the city filled with God's people. They had disobeyed God. God had taken his protection off them. So much so, the enemy, the Arameans, were outside. There was 45,000 of them on the left and the right and behind them, and there were archers in the front. They got themselves into this mess. And God says, okay, I'll confound the wise of this world. And he uses four lepers. Is that the best you got? And they show up, the weakest of them all, to bring about his plan. You see, their risk was far greater than the reality in front of them, their faith. And they said, if we stay here, we die. We are going, either going to die of leprosy or starvation. Why don't we just take a shot? Now, don't miss the pattern of God in stepping out in faith. And it, it, this sounds a little juvenile, but it's so true every single time. It is only, and it's a pattern in God's word. Don't fight me on it, okay? It is only when we step out, God steps in. If you don't believe me, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 14 and read Peter's, uh, Peter's attempt at stepping out into water, okay? He stepped out. He's saying God stepped in. Think of David and Goliath, okay, for a moment. You see, risk will always involve the action of both hum human frailty and God's supernatural hand. He wants to involve you in your faith journey. And by the way, at best, you're frail. It's how God works in our lives. None of this would have happened if the lepers would have played it safe. When they stepped out, God stepped into the narrative. The enemy fled. The city was saved because four guys took a faith, risky, faithful step. Are you standing at the gate and afraid to take a risk because you're uncertain? Is there anyone in the room today afraid of your current circumstances because you're uncertain of how it's going to turn out? If you want to experience something supernatural, you have to try things that are beyond your natural ability. Oh my goodness. If I don't admit that I find this hard, I'll be a hypocrite. And I find this difficult. Sounds really cute on a piece of paper and on a PowerPoint, doesn't it? Find this difficult. Don't forget one of our door principles. As you see them, let's remember some of them. When God opens a door, you need to remember this. It doesn't contradict his word. So we are not talking about the kind of risk that involves confusion and disunity or ignoring God's word. 
If you want God's power to show up, we have to step out and try things that are beyond our power. You know, they stood between starvation and a disease and the enemy. And they stepped out. And what happens in 2 Kings chapter two, 7, verse 2, Elisha comes out and declares that God will show up and free his people. And the king's officers see this door not as an opportunity but as a risk. He even mocks Elisha and determines that God isn't going to show up. Look what it says. Even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? I tell you, I I tell my my, my team all the time, pastors, Rob, Crystal, Megan, Justin, Board, and I'm telling you today, we are not an accounting firm here at Bethesda. If this was an accounting firm, we would be in trouble (laughs) because I am not a math person. We are not an accounting firm where the numbers are the facts, right? And it's important. Numbers tell your story. We are a church where, where faith is sometimes a risk. You hear what I'm saying? Where there is stepping out with the facts but understanding that faith is believing out of God even when it sometimes it's easier to stay outside the wall. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> Am I preaching to myself? When I look back at my life, everything good that has happened took a certain amount of risk. Marriage. Period. <laughs> I know what side of the bread, my butter, my whatever that is. <laughs> See, it's even, I can't even speak, it's so risky to go there, right? But, you know, marriage is a risk. You think about it, you, you think you know your spouse, and then you get married, right? And then you really find out who that person is, period. So, you know, deciding to have three kids is risky. You can do everything right as a parent, and your kids still take unhealthy detours. Some wrong doors that are not hard to come out of and other doors, decisions they make that last a lifetime. It's tough. Uh, Leaving my father and my family's business and going into Bible college with $20 in my pocket. (laughs) I'm laughing now, but it's more hysteria than anything, right? I look back at it with no loan. was a huge risk for me at the time. I started, I was into my exams in December (laughs) before I even got a loan, and they would come knocking at my door. Hey, Bruce, is, is the money coming? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and God shows up. You see, it requires faith to lead this church. Don't you forget it. We are navigating through the beginnings of a strategic plan for this church that requires some facts, but more faith. Can you remember that? Yes, we measure KPIs, key performance indicators. Some of you are like, because you're remembering your evaluations of that. We, we measure metrics. I am a metrics person. We measure numbers. We're, we talk strategic growth and how to grow under, under the grace of, of God. But let me, let, me, let me show you how we have grown in small groups from 2017. You can't read the top one because it's orange. September, it says September 2017, June 2019. Serving. Okay, let's start there. In over less than two years ago, we had 271 people serving. Now, this may not mean a whole lot to you, but boy, I love, I love numbers, okay? These kinds of numbers, not accounting numbers, okay? Don't get me wrong. 
Okay, so 271, and it's June of 2019, 411 people serving. Now, that's cool. That's great in the number, numbers-wise, but that tells, that tells a story, and not just number stories, that people are connecting to the gifts that God has instilled in them. Okay, so small groups. In September of 2017, 169 people were in small groups. As of June of this year, 303. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Amazing. Sunday attendance, 2017, average of 478, uh, or sort of total number 478, June of 2019, 731. You can say amen here. And so a monthly average of, as of September 2011, 416 people. September 2019, 652. I, I think the Lord deserves a hand of applause for that, not me. You see, see, so over the last, the last six months, we've been navigating through a first principles document that lays the groundwork for a long-term strategic plan to build this plan we're going to launch a, 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 a church needs assessment to assess this building and the needs that are present, but also the needs for our future vision. We're, we're going to do some city outreach mapping to ensure that we are positioned right in the city to address the physical and spiritual needs of our areas. We are partnering uh, with some amazing organizations even now. We just want to kind of streamline that so that we're using the money that God is giving us to touch the, the, the most needs that we can. You understand what I'm saying? We partner with, with people like our McMorn, uh, Single Parent Association. We shake hands with the Association for New Canadians and other organizations. We just want to bring them into the conversation so that we are, we, we are, we are connecting to our city and we're honoring God and meeting both needs in our church and in our community. We are investigating a church plant in Torbay. This is not new news to you. There are more ways to address our growth in, than a new building and land. That uh, a new building and land incurs debt. Okay, there are more fun, better ways to, to address our growth, as I just showed you, and also more importantly, to increase the gospel presence in a location where there is very little. Pray for us. We'll be forming a number of teams over the next year that will launch into a season of two things. These teams will do two things for us, information gathering and partnership discovery. Information gathering and partnership discovery that will form a strategic plan that we will lay into your hands in a little while. Not facts, but faith. Our building fund, our building fund, in the next number of months, in, in, in the next six or seven months, we'll be done. You remember the big give that we visioned out here six years ago, and we've done it six times now or seven times, and we've raised over a quarter of a million dollars to, to decrease that, that, that building fund and, and also the faithful giving of, of people in this church from month to month. And now we're looking at under $80,000, less than a year, and that'll be paid off. What is God saying to us? You can be rest assured In any strategy, it requires more faith than facts. As a matter of fact, I want you to say this with me, okay? I'll say it slow so you can say it. God requires... That, see, that's 40%. I'm not a numbers person, but I'm up as one person looking at you, okay? Let's say it again. God requires, God requires more, faith more faith than facts. 
And the law of buoyancy, see, the law of buoyancy told Peter no, but faith said yes. David's naked eye validated that Goliath was factually stronger, but faith allows you to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. Facts are good. But facts left alone will leave you with small dreams because facts will tell you, based on your calculations, this is not plausible. This is not possible. And it is safer to lean into what is now and not open the door. Facts will squash your faith left alone. Facts will tell you the decisions that you made in your life that means you don't have a future. My addiction has controlled my life, fact. One of the parts of recovery to addiction is admitting being self-aware. It's a fact, I need help, fact. But as I get help, I'm placing my faith in God. Faith is not about denying facts, but placing our trust in a faithful God when everything says otherwise, amen? And the disease is potentially fatal, fact. But God is bigger. Faith. <laughs> and this church has been built. I look around this room and I see some of the more seasoned people in the room. This church has been built on people who understood that from its humble beginnings, their risk capacity was far greater than the reality in front of them. Every significant move, this church has been made force people to leave the gate and take a risk that you were unsure of. Faith moves are risky. Hear what I'm saying? Extremely difficult, oftentimes lonely. Some of them are costly, depending on which ones you do, and all of them had the potential to fail. Nothing changes if you stay at the gate. Make a move. What is God saying to you? If you are standing at the gate wishing your life was different, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is something. And don't ignore the small risk. The risk that some of you need to take is to simply say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that or done that. Some of the most, some of the most uh, people that I know that, are, that, that, that don't say the words, I'm sorry, are usually Christians. I've been in counseling sessions in seven, eight, nine counseling sessions before a Christian person, husband, will, will say to their wife, I'm sorry. Isn't that crazy? I just went off my notes. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Some of you need to take a risk and say, will you forgive me? You see, we want big risks, right? We want to go through doors. We want it to be explosive. We want everybody to see it. See it. But sometimes God will say, no, I need you to take some risk internally, character-wise. Say, I'm sorry. Some of you need to risk and say, will you forgive me? Some of you are standing at the gate and your hope is gone. You're in the middle of addiction or sin. The risk you need to take is walk into a counselor's office and say, will you help me? And some of you need to get in a car, buy a plane ticket, and go visit that person you had a broken relationship for years. And we stand, we stand in, 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 in God's presence and worship and we say, God, I need you more. And God's saying, well, actually, someone else needs you too. 
that broken relationship. Do you guys still love me? <laughs> God is speaking to you today. And I'm saying this out of love because we want to risk big, but God is after our character. You hear what I'm saying? It's a small risk, but I have eternal value in your life when you take them. Internal risks. I've had to do this. I have, I've had to do those things. What's stopping you from stepping out in faith now? That their, their, see, their the, the, the risk capacity was far greater than the, fact, the, the facts that were in front of them. And secondly, their risk, their faith allowed them to see beyond their own needs. The lepers took a risk. God showed up, but they did what a, a lot of us do when, when God blesses us. They gorged themselves and hoarded everything for themselves until one of them said, we are not doing right. This is wrong. I'll tell you why they recognize this is because they didn't forget what life was like before. They knew where they were positioned before the blessing. They were kicked outside of the, the, the city, living in huts because they had leprosy. You see, and we, when we forget where we came from, we forget where people are now. This is so true. The lepers had empathy for others because they remembered what life was like before they were recipients of God's blessing. When God opens a door of opportunity, it's never meant to hoard God's blessings, but to release God's blessings on others. When God blesses, when God answers, it is never to hoard and keep, but to release and bless. You hear that? And so here, here's, here's the point. With, with, with great discovery comes great responsibility. They realized that with, with their, their great discovery came this responsibility. It's not just for me. It's not just for us. Jesus said, to whom much is given, what? Much is required. Wow. What has God freed you from? What is God freeing you from? Because the last time I looked at sanctification in the Bible, it's not we arrive somewhere. It's we are moving Sanctification is a process. I am growing in my relationship with God. I am making my mistakes. I'm leaning forward and I'm growing. What has God freed you from? What has God blessed you with? What has God given you so that you can now do the same for others? What resources, what blessings that, that others can benefit from? Because what God has given you isn't just for you. And if you're a Christian in the room today, as I am, and you have Jesus' love in your heart, you are the leper standing outside the middle of the blessings of God. You have hit the mother load, by the way. You have, you, have, you, you have God's forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven. Your past, your present, and your future, you are off the hook. Jesus paid the penalty. Your sins are done once and for all for sins in mind. What a deal. What a deal. You have been forgiven, you have hope, you have grace, you have God's goodness and blessings, but your unbelieving friends and your neighbors at your workplace are dying from a spiritual famine. Whew. And you have the answer. And as you stand at the door of risk, will you share what you have with others? Because with great blessing comes great responsibility. Will you take a risk and begin praying for an opportunity to invite someone this fall? The last time I looked, Jesus makes people's lives better. 
if they were in the, Jesus was in their life, if they had forgiveness, hope, and his guidance hand in their life, what person in your life is dying of a spiritual famine and could use the hope of Jesus? It's that simple. That simple. You knew, if you knew your life was short, would you risk more? Would you share more? And lastly, their risk led to the kind of loving obedience that changes stories. Your story has the potential to change somebody else's story. Even your pain. These four men were at a, a part of God's plan for God's people because of their willingness to risk, to share. God showed up, they went out and caused the sound of chariots and horses and it was so loud the enemy thought that you know, there was this vast army. And it says, so they got up and fled in, in, in the dusk and abandoned their tents and the horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. God showed up. They hoarded and then they shared to change the story of God's people. And that's what God does. He blesses you to bless somebody else. Your story is a blessing for someone else. When God is asking you to risk, it's to change our story and the stories of others around us. If you had the opportunity to attend, and I'm ending here at the risk of you guys firing me. If you had the opportunity to attend the Global Leadership Summit, last week at the Geo Center, you would have seen God using people to change others around them. Peter, this guy by the name of Peter, I think it's Oaks, was a business owner who took a risk and changed the story of so many. And I want us to watch this clip. I want us to, to watch it, but watch for the story inside the story. He had a business that needed strength he was growing his business, but God was changing lives. Let's watch it together. It's a couple minutes. I was standing there and everything sounded muffled, like everyone was far off in the distance. I remember that vividly. We went out to have this fight and it escalated where I ended up taking his life. Looking down at my friend, it was like, what just happened? I mean, what kind of person kills their friend? Hutch was the bottom of the barrel. If you get in trouble anywhere else, that's where they would send you. Very first day in prison, we had a, a riot in the chow hall. And um, I can remember I was so scared, but I was fighting for my life. I seen guys laying on the floor. There were puddles of blood. There was one guy laying there with his teeth all busted out of his face. I came to a quick realization like this is for real. I'm gonna die here. This is it. I'm gonna die. And that one, there was no hope. That was probably the hardest part. I had never been in a prison before. And so when we walked in there and the doors clanged shut, I thought, it's a great idea, but there's no way this is going to work. It was a huge challenge. I guess maybe we were desperate. We have a company called Electrics. We build electrical assemblies. Uh, and we have another company called the Seat King when uh, we build industrial seating. 
for the inmates, it, it was a huge thing because they were paying hourly wages now. Before, we were only making 60 cents a day. We will only hire the best of the best, as it were. So it's a real incentive for the inmates to be good in prison because they can now go and work in a job that pays them 80 or $100 a day instead of 50 cents a day. I used to hate phone calls because I think at that time, just to accept the call was a $2 charge. And then it was $1.29 every minute. If you're making 50 cents a day, you don't spend much time talking to your family. But it's so important because the relationship with their families is probably one of the, the key things that reduces recidivism. The second chance started when I got my job at Seeking. People started believing in me. You know, people started seeing a different attitude. That was where the seeds were planted. That's where the second chance started. These are murderers and rapists and drug dealers. But as I really got to know them and really became friends with them, I came to understand why they had done very bad things. They were still created by the creator of the universe. And when I understood the little that I did to see it, a movement in them, it really gave me hope for what a business could do and what the rest of us need to do, particularly those of us who are in influential positions and can do something about it, what we should really do. And so it gave me a whole new vision as to how and why business should be done. Pete's been a very good man in my life. Not too many people have had that kind of father figure in their lives. With Pete himself, that's an amazing man. When they come out here, they shake your hand, they know you by name, they know who you are. You know, being able to come out here every day and not be treated like an actual inmate, but, but to be treated like an employee. Our philosophy of business is this. The main thing we need to do is we want to lead with economic capital. We want to give them a good job. The second thing we want to do is we want to respect them as individuals. We want to have deep, authentic relationships with them. And then the third thing, uh, we let the Lord figure out how to open those doors of spiritual capital, and that typically happens. So parole time came. Well, Pete was out of the country. He literally flew from out of the country to this country to go speak for me and fight for me. If that's not a friendship or if that's not love, I don't know what it is, man. Louis is a phenomenal artist. And so uh, I think Louis's been out maybe a year and a half now. For the first year, uh, he became a tattoo artist and uh, he wanted to open his own tattoo shop. So I helped Louis uh, figure out a business plan. And about three months ago, he opened his own tattoo shop. Well, it's my second chance. You know, I wasn't supposed to get this. You know, I was supposed to die in there. I was never supposed to be out here. And to be able to do what I'm doing now, that's redemption. And C. King, they taught us all these things that we're doing out here, too. It brought a, a, a hope to a dark place. It's afforded me an opportunity to uh, help pay for my daughter's college. As a father figure that, that's in my daughter's life, but not every day because I'm in prison, I'm still able to help my daughter succeed at what she wants to do by helping her pay for college. So it's been a very good blessing that I'm able to do that. It's an unbelievable thing to see a man that has no hope come to hope. You know, I think in business we become, we become hardened to the bottom line. And I think business is really about people. And I think we should be in business to really transform society. When we started to really uh, love those guys as we loved ourselves, and we saw transformation happen, it really gave me a whole new vision for what I could do as a business person. And it's been terrific. all of the room as we end today.
It's pretty amazing how God can orchestrate a business um, to influence people's lives in a dark place and further the gospel by when, when prisoners are released that helps them start their own business. I mean, that's God. That's the gospel lived out in people's lives. And so there's a card in your seat as you came in. Once you take that card, and I want you to take this card and leave with it today. I want tomorrow morning to, for you to remember the power of God's word. Would you do that? Pick up the card, put it somewhere that you're going to see it again tomorrow. That's asking three questions. And it's under the, the strength of our last point, and it's this. When we risk, God uses us as channels of his grace in this world. So as you think about your life, what do you, where do you need to risk more? Where's it? Student, senior, business owner. Where, where do you need to risk more? What would you share more of? If you only had 90 days to live, what would you share more of? Where would you risk more? Lastly, who would you love more? And obviously, you're going to live longer than 90 days. I hope so. So the question today is living as if we don't know about tomorrow and using and allowing God to use the resources that we have today. So where would I risk more? How would you share more of? What would you share more of? Who would you love Take it with you and let's pray together as we have Father. For every person in this room today, for the word of God today that finds a place in our hearts. To some, faith means more risk than others because it depends on where we are in our faith. Some are standing at the door and finding it difficult to open the door. We understand that. We live in this world. We all face it. We know that the pattern of your word and your faithfulness is that when we open doors that you want us to open as opportunities, you are always with us. And so, Father, today as we are challenged through these Second Kings chapter 7, and you're asking us, where do, where do we need to have more risky faith? Where do we need to share more of the resources that you have blessed us with? Because with, with, with discovery comes great responsibility. And so, Father, today I pray you would challenge people also where to love more, who to love more. We give this word to you and our lives to you as it finds a place in our hearts. Challenge us beyond this day into the rest of our week to influence others with what we have. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.